0: had an interesting conversation with somebody yesterday and we talked about evangelism and outreach. It was a very profitable conversation for me because here, when we talk about outreach and evangelism, a lot of times we think in terms of what we as the organized church can do, meaning what kind of activity can we do? What kind of seminar can we host? Uh, you know, like we, you know, had an outdoor seminar, some guy coming in talking about urine from a deer and grunting and all the rattling horns and stuff, and then you share the gospel and so forth. And, and we spend a lot of time and effort and money in those kind of events, but then we get disappointed because there doesn't seem to be People coming to know Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, but in the back of my mind, I, I, I've always known this. this. This has been around since the late 70s. These statistics have been around since the late 70s. If you talk to a typical group of people in a church and you ask them, how many of you came to Jesus, came to Christ because of a friend, a relative, an associate at work, or a neighbor? 80-plus percent would say, yes, that was me. Okay? They came to Christ because of the efforts of someone close to them. If you were to ask how many came to Christ because of the efforts of a pastor or the church, less than 6%. Okay, so there's a reason why our, our statistics are bearing that out. Less than 6%. If you came, if you wanted to ask them how many of them come to Christ because of maybe the efforts of somebody like Billy Graham, which Billy's not doing that anymore, okay? That, or, or any other organization like that, it's, it's only a few percentage points. Most people come to Christ, listen to me, most people come to Jesus because of the efforts of you with your friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. Now, for some reason, we know that, but we don't know that. Did you know, that's, that we, we carry around that testimony, but somehow we've we've been convinced that the way to reach people is to reach them with the pastor or or some or, or the other ministry, and they're not reaching them. Do you understand? Most people come to Jesus because of efforts from the folks sitting here now the other problem is is that we think that a program is what's going to lead people to Jesus so a tuesday night visitation program which by the way when we did tuesday night visitation i was in churches i remember going on tuesday or thursday night visitation we didn't visit people we knew we visited strangers Dude, do you know what i'm saying People who maybe showed up just to check us out, but then they never came back because we knocked on their door. You know, you know what I'm saying? Strangers, not even people we knew. So not even a program. We, we, we think in terms of all this other stuff, but we're missing that it's about, here's the word, relationships. But it's not just about relationships. Here's what we're seeing from this passage. Here's what we're seeing from the book of Acts. What would motivate 12 men to get up, preach, even after they've been told to stop, get up, preach, even after they've been beaten, what would motivate them to to, when they're released by an angel, which is what we're talking about today, go back to the temple early in the morning and start preaching again? What would motivate them that much to share the gospel? Anybody? What would motivate them? It's not just love, but in a way it is love. Love for who? Yeah, because Jesus was real to them. (coughs) Jesus was real to them and in their lives. Can I tell you, I think that's what's missing in our sharing with our friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. What's missing is how real Jesus is to us. And I can look back to my life. You know, when I became a Christian in 1985, a freshman engineering student at the University of South Carolina, Jesus was so real to me that I shared about Jesus with everybody. My family thought I was nuts. Okay? But life, you know, as I get older, what happened? The sense of Christ that I had when I first got saved waned. Why do you think David says this in Psalm 51? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Did you understand what I'm saying? The reality of, of you being saved because in spite of you and what Jesus did for you isn't as real anymore, I think, in our lives. Did you understand what I'm saying? I think when it becomes real to us again, we will feel a greater burden to share with others about who? Jesus. Did you understand what I'm saying? So, you know, we look at our nation and we're, oh, you know, our nation. How are people going to, you know, where's the next Billy Graham? There isn't going to be a next Billy Graham. Do you understand? They've been asking that question now for 10, 15 years. Who's the next Billy Graham? There isn't one. But actually, there is. He or they are sitting in the pew. It's not mass evangelism, it's personal evangelism. It's personal sharing. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's personal. You, how real is Jesus to you? And do you want your friend to have Jesus because you realize if they don't have Jesus, Jesus says they're going to hell? Do you understand? So that's what we're seeing here with this lesson. And, and so today we're going to focus again. Remember last week I kind of left you hanging. The angel released him and the leaders send for them, not knowing that they're not in jail. So let's pick it up. Let's look again. We're going to look at verses 22 through 40. We're in lesson 12. We're looking at Acts chapter 5. Let's look at verse twenty two But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, "Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, and the guards standing outside before the doors, but when we opened them, we found not one and no one inside. When the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told him, saying, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers. Now notice, how this is interesting to me. The captain went with the officers and brought them without violence. Isn't that an interesting statement? Brought them without violence. For they feared the people, lest they be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked him, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter, with the other apostles, answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be the prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And, also, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourself what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. Now I say to you, keep away from these men, let them alone, for if this is for if this plan or this work is of men, it'll come to nothing. But if it's of God, you cannot overthrow it lest you be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and and let them go. All right, so let's look here. This, This is an amazing story. Amazing continuation of this amazing story. First thing I want you to see here is the temple officers found that the apostles were not in prison. Temple officers found they were not in prison. They reported that the prison was secure and guarded, but the prisoners were missing. They reported that the prison was secure and guarded, but the the prison (coughs) was missing. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Why is this so important that they make sure to tell the leaders that this prison was secure, but the prisoners are missing? Let me explain to you what happened. In their day. This is how how authority operated in that day to make sure there were no escapes. If you are in charge of the prison, your, your job is to make sure that they stay there. Do you understand what I'm saying? That people don't get out. Now, here's what they did. When there was an escape, if there was an escape, if somebody got out, The response of authority was to kill, are you listening to me, the guards who were guarding the individual and the jailer, the chief jailer, the warden. You think that kind of set in motion that you need to make sure that people stay in jail? Okay. Here's what I want you to see. You see that in the Gospels with the people guarding Jesus' tomb. The penalty is death. But you see there's some sort of conspiracy there. They didn't kill them because they realized the body was gone. Were, I mean, there's soldiers guarding it, Roman soldiers. Here you have probably Jewish guards, and the guys are getting out of jail, and they're wanting to make sure that what? That he—that they stay in jail. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So, But they're gone. they got to have an explanation. Hey, the prison was secure. They're gone. Okay? They're gone. So I just want to give you a little bit of background there. All right, let's go on. The high priest and the officials were perplexed by the apostles' disappearance. I mean, it's almost ironic what's being said here. The passage says that they wondered what this might mean. That's pretty much an understatement, isn't it? They wondered what this might mean. So the report was brought to the officials that the apostles were preaching in the temple. So... The, it's, you can almost see like, okay, we got the report. They're not there. What does that mean? Here comes another report. Guy walking right in. Hey, I, the people we arrested are in the temple, and they're preaching again. Now, let's just stop for a moment. Do you see anything ironic here? Is this normal? No, this isn't normal. In fact, I'll tell you how abnormal it is. All right, let's say I'm the high priest. I get ticked off at Mike, Denny, and Bruce, okay? Because I don't appreciate their preaching in the temple. So I got them arrested. I got them beaten. I'm throwing them in jail. You get released from jail. What? Are, what? If it's Mike, Denny, and Bruce, you get released from jail. What are you doing? You're running. Okay, I got an honest man. What are you doing, Mike? You're hiding. What are you going to do, Bruce? You're doing hiding and running. Running and hiding, okay? The the natural human thing is, is I ain't going to go do this again and get arrested again, right? But they were told to go do it again. And guess what they did? They did it again. See how abnormal this is? This is like... So if you're the high priest, you're thinking, I wonder where those guys ran. Oh, they're in the temple? What? They're in the temple? Go get them. Doesn't make sense, does it? Doesn't make sense. So the apostles were, and this is what blows my mind, the apostles were recaptured peaceably. I mean, the passage makes the point here that the second time they were arrested, there was what? No violence. Why? Because the temple officers feared the people. They were afraid. They were afraid. So notice now, verse 27 to 40, we're, we're going to see, you know, that... Uh, Basically, they're before the council. So the high priest reminded them that they were commanded not to teach in Jesus' name. And so think about that. So the high priest says, I mean, this is almost ridiculous that he's even asked, didn't we tell you not to do that? It's almost like a dad telling a kid. Didn't we tell you to quit doing that? You know what I'm saying? Didn't we just tell you not to do this? The high priest Reported that they were filling Jerusalem with this new what? Doctrine. Okay, let me just stop for a moment. We're in chapter five here. Pentecost has only happened with maybe in a few months, maybe within a year of the events here. And already you can see the testimony here of the impact of the church. They were filling Jerusalem with what? The teaching of Jesus. The teach, not just the teaching of Jesus, but the teaching concerning Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you think they were making an impact? Do you think they were affecting... That didn't mean that everybody believed, right? Because the majority didn't. What it meant was is that people knew at least about it, Right? People knew about it. So the high priest reported that they were filling Jerusalem with this new doctrine. Not only were they filling Jerusalem with this new doctrine, notice what the high priest is saying to them there. He's saying, and you're also trying to say that we're responsible for what? His death. Because in their mind, do you understand, the high priest is saying, we're not responsible for his death, it was his own stupidity. He's the one who started... Do you understand? They don't see themselves as killing Jesus. They saw Jesus as killing himself. They were only getting rid of him because he was creating havoc. What do you mean he was creating havoc? Well, they would see it as havoc because he was threatening their what? Power structure. Okay? He was a threat to them. So, Peter responded that they would obey God rather than men. So the issue here for Peter is, it's like, okay, I know you told us not to say anything, but do you understand what you say is meaningless compared to what our God has told us to do? Do you understand? Our God has told us to proclaim this message. Our God has told us to proclaim this message. Now, so we're up to verse 30. So let's read verse 30 now. We'll read verse 30 through uh, 33. Actually, let's go back to verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things So also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Okay, so let's take a look here. Let's take a look at these verses here. So, first of all, we already see uh, that Peter's told them that they're doing, that they should obey God rather than men. Here's the next thing. He reported that the God of Israel had raised Jesus whom they had murdered. So the first thing he's going to do here is like, yeah. All right, you're telling me not to to preach this doctrine, but we've got to obey God. And the next thing that comes out of his mouth is the doctrine. Isn't that interesting? You're telling me, don't say this. I'm supposed to say this. God told me to. So here's what he told me to tell you. The God of Israel raised up Jesus from the dead, whom you murdered. Now let's stop for a moment. Why do you think he's emphasizing that point, whom you murdered? Why do you think he's emphasizing that point? Because he could have just said that God raised Jesus up. Boom, that was it. But he had to add that last part in there. Why do you think he added that last part in there? Okay, here's why I think it is. He is communicating in such a way with them so as to confront them with the reality of their own sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because let me just stop for a moment. Do you think that they thought that they did anything wrong by having Jesus killed? No, no, they didn't think that at all. In fact, what did the high priest say in John? For the sake of the nation, it's better that what? One die. For the sake of the many, it's better that one die. And, and that was a prophecy. He didn't even know he was prophesying. But because he was high priest, the, you know, John says that he was prophesying. See, they thought they were doing everybody a good deal by getting rid of Jesus. Now, here, here, these, here these apostles come. They're not just preaching the resurrection of Jesus. But they're also laying the blame for his murder right where it belongs. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's confronting them with their what? The reality of their sin. Now, why do you think he's doing that? Why do we do that? Why should we be doing that anyhow in our presentation of Jesus? First, stop. First of all, let me just stop. Let me qualify that. Don't go share Jesus with your friend. You killed him. That's not going to go very far. That's not the point here. They literally killed him. But the point is, is that he's, pointed, he's they're showing the Sanhedrin their what? Need. Do you understand what I'm saying? Their need because of their sin. They're being confronted with their sin. Now, of course, they're going to what? Reject that. All right, as most men would reject responsibility for their sins. But what we see here is he reported that the God of Israel had raised up Jesus whom they had murdered. Now, he goes on and says that God exalted Jesus to a place of authority so that repentance and forgiveness are given. He's saying here that he was not just raised up by God, but God placed him in a place of authority. We know that. Do you understand that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the ruler of the universe is none other than King Jesus? And Philippians very clearly says that every knee will bow and confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Bottom line, okay. Now he gave him this place of authority, but notice what? Peter is saying here he gave him this place of authority so that two things could take place so that repentance could take place and then also what could take place forgiveness now now here's the thing I want you to understand this is where we get confused and I want to help clarify your confusion here a little bit we are called to repentance are we not who gives you the ability to repent? Okay, everybody, I hear whispers. Let's get some darker coffee flowing here. Speak up a little bit, okay? Maybe we've got to pour some hot sauce in it. Oh, let's get... So who gives you... Who gives you the ability to repent? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. God does. This is not just in this historical passage. That's also in Paul's teaching repentance comes from god here's another one folks faith comes from who the ability for you to have faith comes from who you didn't just think that up on your own comes from who god so jesus is placed in this authority and thereby repentance is given and because repentance is given that means people repent there is also what given Forgiveness, do you understand? Forgiveness becomes because of what? Repentance, okay? Repentance, so God has exalted Jesus to a place of authority so that repentance and forgiveness are given. Peter proclaimed that they were witnesses to Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Stop. Okay, everybody knows that we're supposed to share Jesus, right? everybody know that we're supposed to do evangelism? Some of you remember being pounded by pastors about sharing your faith, getting people saved. All right, let me just stop for a moment. I need you to grasp this reality. What is truth and what is a lie? Okay. Here is truth. The truth is, yes, you're supposed to share about Jesus because you are a what? Witness. I'm a witness to what, George? This happened 2,000 years ago. I didn't see Jesus. No, no, but you're a witness today because of the reality of God in your life right now. Do you understand? The reality of Jesus right now and what Jesus is doing for you. You are a witness. And so you're supposed to share with others about the reality of Jesus right now. Okay, stop. Here is the lie. The lie is that you're supposed to save people. I don't know if I agree with that. Hold on. Let's remember some things. It's where we need to have our theology hit our brain. What do you mean by that? Who is the only one who can save anybody? Okay quit saying you're say, you're going out to get people, you're saving someone you're not saving anybody you're being a witness. who's the one who draws people to himself? Jesus, who's the one who gives repentance? Jesus, who's the one who gives faith? Jesus, I mean very clearly no one comes to the Father except the what the spirit draw them, the scripture says. your job is to be a witness. With your life. Concerning the reality of who? Jesus. Who brings the increase? God. Faith. That he gives to others. Jesus is the one. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you know what the how much that will relieve you of, of your um, personal guilt? So much of... What we're afraid of is that we put this pressure on ourselves that I somehow have to save my brother or somehow have to save my cousin or somehow have to save my coworker, and, and put the pressure on us to convince them of the truth for them to come to Jesus. Folks, you're just simply a voice box. It's God who convinces of truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? Did you understand what I'm saying? So here we have Peter saying, look, we're just witnesses. We're just witnesses to the power and the person of Jesus Christ and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit who's alive and working among us right now. See, folks, question for you is, could it be that the reason why you have nothing to share? Okay, this is a question. Don't answer it now out loud. Could it be the reason why you don't have nothing to share is because Jesus is not real in your life? Oh, yeah, you believe. But you're not seeing him in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not seeing him answer prayer. You're not seeing him encouraging you. You're not seeing the reality of him in the everyday walk of life. Do you understand? Could it be that? These guys, they're willing to stand up knowing that they could possibly get killed and they're ready to say, hey, we're just witnesses to Jesus. We've got to do this. All right, let's go on. The council responded with, to P- Peter with fury and plotted to kill them. Now, let's just stop for a moment. Why do you think they just didn't kill them immediately? Okay, Brad said it. They were afraid of the people. Remember? Because they why? They're popular. They have the respect of the people. Same reason why they did with Jesus. They came and took him in the middle of the night. They're worried about their power. So they're trying to figure out how to do these guys in, okay? Trying to figure out how to do these guys in. Now, look with me, verse 34 to 39. We're going to see the advice of a guy by the name of Gamaliel. And I think this is amazing, okay? Because this, if you can't see God's hand in this, because sometimes God's hand is there and it doesn't even have to say that God's working. Do you understand? Look with me at verse 34. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. He said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him, and he also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. Now I say to you, keep away from these men. Let them alone, for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Okay, I just think this is an amazing passage here so first thing he does is this this guy first of all who's Gamaliel he's one of in that time period had a couple of prominent Jewish rabbi teachers one was Gamaliel the other was a guy by the name of Helio okay this is Gamaliel he's respected he stands up and here's what he does he commanded that the apostles be removed from the council's presence so okay You ever been to a council meeting and they go into a work session, tell everybody to leave because we've got to talk privately, okay? This is what's going on here. We've got to have an executive session here. You guys take them outside. We're going to have an executive session, okay? Now, he called the council to consider the actions concerning the apostles. So here's what he says. It's almost like the voice of reason. It's like he recognizes everybody's fired up. They don't like being accused of killing somebody that they think should have died. They're wanting to get rid of these guys, trying to figure it out. So he stands up, the voice of calm, and he says, okay, put them outside. All right, listen, guys, think about what you're doing. That's what he's saying here. Think about what you're doing with these guys. Think about it. All right. So he reminds them of two different men who had a great following but came to nothing. So he brings up two examples. Actually, there probably were many more examples during this time of false messiahs who would rise up. He brings up two names of two different guys and says, "Do you remember these two different guys? How they had a following and they ended up getting killed, and their followers were dispersed. They came to nothing." So he kind of reminds them of history. Now, let me just stop for a moment, a little bit of a Bible knowledge thing for you. When it says during the time of the census, what do you think that's referring to? Anybody? During the time of the... Look at the passage, it says, you know, one guy from Galilee rose up during the time of the census. What's the census? What's that... What? How does that help you to understand when this took place? Okay, Justin you said it. Yes, when Jesus was born, remember, cuz Mary and Joseph had to go from from up in Galilee down to Bethlehem because there was a what? worldwide census for the purpose of taxation, okay? Luke chapter 2. Okay? If you want to write that down in your notes as a reference, the census, Luke chapter 2. So this happened around the time of when Jesus was born, so 30 years prior, okay? So he tells the council to let the apostles alone and see what happens. So here's his advice. Okay, wait a minute now, guys. Hold on. You remember those guys? Remember those guys? Remember? Oh, yeah, I remember. I had a cousin that was crazy about one of them. Okay, listen. They're an example to us, so here's what we need to do. Let the apostles alone. Leave them alone. Why? If this thing is man-made, it'll come to nothing. Here's what his point is. If this thing's man-made, they'll get themselves in trouble with the Romans, and the Romans will deal with them. But, if this is from God, nothing will stop it. That's an interesting point. If this is from God, Nothing will stop it. Let me just hold on a second. There is a powerful point here, okay? I mean, there are a lot of, of, you know, because we're in the, first of all, because we're in the world that we are in, and do you realize the culture war is over and we lost? Okay, so just so you grasp that, the culture wars are over and we lost. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I've been hearing people, oh, this is it, we're doomed, Christianity is doomed. It's the end of Christianity. I've heard liberals say that, I've heard Christians say that. I'm going to tell you right now, look at your Bible, Acts chapter 5. If it's of man, it'll come to nothing. If it's of God, you can't fight against it. And I'm going to tell you right now, the church will exist until Jesus comes for it. Do you understand? Will it have the prominence? Maybe not. But there will always be a remnant of believers. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't fight against God's plan. That's the ultimate point. If you want to write that down, you can't fight against God's plan. That's the point Gamaliel is making here. He's, and it's not that he believes that it's God's plan. His point is, is that, look, guys, get some sense here. If this is just some crazy, whacked-out, philosophy, it's going to disappear on its own. But if it's from God, we're just wasting our time fighting it. And that was pretty good advice, wouldn't you say that? That has implications for you and I today. Because if it's from God, I don't care what the world does. does. In fact, Psalm 2 talks about how the nations rage against his anointed one, and the what? The Lord laughs at them from his throne. Okay? The Lord laughs at them from, this, from his throne. All right, now let's go on here. Notice now. Here's the verdict of the council. Look with me at verse 40. And they agreed with him. And they had called the apostles and beaten them and commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So here's what I want you to see. The council agreed with his advice by beating the apostles and releasing them. So here's the thing: they weren't just going to let them off scot-free. You know, we're gonna okay, we're gonna take your advice, Camilla. We'll bring them in here. We'll rough them up a little bit. Tell them not to do this anymore, and then we'll we'll just pay attention to what you say. That's what they're deciding to do here. Now here is where we're going to spend the last few moments here. This is what blows me away. Okay? This is what blows me away. How they respond to this. Because this puts us to shame. Look with me at verse 41 to 42. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Okay? So they departed from the council rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer shame for his name and daily in the temple and every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Whoa. Okay, here's what we see happening. The apostles left the council rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer shame for Jesus. Now, just stop for a moment. Is that radical or what? I mean, I'm assuming they didn't just get a slap on the hand. They got roughed up. So they leave there, and here's their response. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that we were worthy to suffer as our Lord did. That is a concept that will blow your mind. Now that's radical, isn't it? How can somebody say that? How can somebody do that? I'll tell you how. Jesus is real to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is real to them. These folks, Jesus is real to them. They have a different perspective on the world, so they are able to rejoice that they suffer. That's something we can learn about, isn't it? How real is Jesus to you? So they continued daily. I'm so, I mean, they just were told, stop teaching. So what do they do? They continued daily. Daily to teach about Jesus as the Messiah in the temple and in homes. Wow. Do you think we can learn some lessons from them? Do you think we can learn some lessons from them? I think we can. Okay. Okay.